Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Have you ever wondered how a man, especially a young man like Mark, becomes qualified to write a record of Jesus' life? The good news gospel, according to Mark. To say it another way, how does Jesus prepare Mark to write for him? Particularly a gospel that focuses on how Jesus came to give his life as a servant and a sacrifice for his church. Well, to start, let's read some key verses that give the theme of Mark's gospel. In Mark 10.42 we read, And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many Mark, it seemed, understood this. Just a little while ago, we talked about Saul, soon to be called Paul the Apostle, and Barnabas as they started their first missionary journey. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. John Mark. We'll explain his two names in a minute. But understand that he was there to serve. Maybe one minute he was cooking the meals for everyone. Next, he might have been helping teach the new converts. Maybe he helped baptize new believers. And then he was washing the dishes. <laughs> we don't know what all Mark was doing, but we do know he was serving like Jesus. But there's another great quotation of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark that we should consider. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whatever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. Jesus gave his life. And he says, that's the only way to live. To live real life, to gain eternal life, you give your life away. <laughs> so did John Mark give his life away as Jesus instructed. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. John abandoned them. He deserted them just, just as the going got tough. And this is the guy who's going to write a gospel for us? A gospel that focuses on Jesus as a servant? On sacrificing your life for Jesus? I mean, somebody's kidding here, right? And ooh, how did Mark feel? Well, let's find out. Let's go back to where we are first introduced to Mark. The apostle James had been martyred, and Herod had thrown Peter in prison, intending to kill him as well. But God sent an angel to rescue Peter. It took him a moment to realize he was, it was really happening. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. First, let's consider why Luke wrote John, whose other name was Mark. What's this other name? 
Luke says it like everybody has another name. Do they? Well, yeah. <laughs> Jews who were at all involved with the Roman world usually had both a Hebrew name, like, say, John, and a Greek name, Mark, in this case. The reason we join the scriptures and mostly call him Mark is that his main ministry was in the Greek-speaking world. So we use his Greek-Roman name. But then there's another strange thing here. Usually children are introduced by who their parents are, Mark, the son of Mary. But here it's Mary, the mother of Mark. Now it might simply be that Mary was such a common name as it is now that Luke thought he needed to make clear which Mary this is. But most scholars believe that Mark was, at the time Luke wrote Acts, which certainly after Mark penned his gospel, so well known in the Christian community that it made more sense to identify his mother by his name rather than the other way around. And in case you were wondering, we don't know anything about his dad. Probably he died before the time of Jesus' ministry and so he's simply not mentioned. It's also important to our understanding of Mark and his life that we pay attention to the house his family owned. It had a gate far enough away from the living quarters that they couldn't hear Peter banging on it. It had an inner courtyard, a room, that could hold more than a hundred people, as well as the servants, which by itself says something. So these are wealthy people, all of which relates to the second time Luke mentions Mark. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Barnabas and Saul, Paul, had brought the famine relief gift from the church in Antioch to the Jerusalem church. Okay, what does this have to do with bringing Mark back to Antioch with them? We have to understand that there were no Motel 6s back then, no Chateau Westport. No, sure, most towns had pagan temples you could stay in, but there wouldn't be any in Jerusalem. And besides, no godly person would stay in one of those. They were houses of ill repute. All this meant that when God's people were traveling, they were dependent on the hospitality of others who believed. And Barnabas was Mark's cousin. And Peter, still leading the church in Jerusalem, knew the family so well that the servants recognized his voice. In other words, the family regularly hosted people from the church. So it's natural to assume that Barnabas and Saul stayed in Mary's house, where Paul would have ample opportunity to get to know Mark and to see in him that special work of God that would one day result in the production of the second gospel. So, they bring Mark back to Antioch with them. He spends some time learning and working with them there. Then they bring him on the missionary journey. They sail to Cyprus, work their way across the island with great success, sail to the mainland to start the next great phase of their journey, and John left them returning to Jerusalem. People start off so well. <laughs> and then nothing Mark, you look so good. You had so much promise. Why quit now? Well, I think I can tell you what happened. They were going to Poseidon Antioch. So we'll take a little history break here. I should tell you that there were some 13 towns named Antioch, <laughs> all named after the same guy. So they were usually identified by the area that they were in. Well, except for the largest one, the Antioch where Paul and Barnabas started. Anyway... As they were preparing to lead Pamphylia for Antioch in Pisidia, they must have had discussions with various people about the trip. 
uh, for provisions, stopping places, etc. See, it was a hundred miles. True, on a Roman road, but they would have to walk 100 miles. And this particular road was perhaps the most infamous Roman road of them all. Even the Roman army couldn't keep this road clear of bandits. And all the way, it traversed a mountain range, up and down. And if you've ever hiked our mountain trails, you know, the, the total elevation gain and loss, they call it. Sure, you only have to climb 3,000 feet, but the total up and down can easily be three times that. And then people said things like, oh, be careful when you pass that point. There's almost always some thieves there waiting to ambush you. Make sure you bring a lot of water for that section can be hot as a pistol and there's no streams or rivers for miles on end. Had somebody die there just last month. Start real early when you get ready to go over that pass. It'll be a good 14 hours of walking and you'll still get there after dark. Wow, sure hope you find our friend's house quickly. Watch out for snakes when you pass that point. Some nasty, poisonous ones there. So it was going to be a grueling, dangerous, frightening trip. And I think John Mark's young, privileged mind just simply couldn't manage it. In modern parlance, he freaked out. <laughs> and he headed home for the mama. Okay, that's, <laughs> that's exactly what he did. But Paul and Barnabas have a great missionary trip. I think the lesson here is that you always have a great time when you hike through the mountains. Is that right? Okay, maybe not. It's better, well, especially if you're doing God's work, then you do, yeah. There were many conversions, lots of Jews, tons of Gentiles. Uh, there were miracles. The crowds loved them. Okay, and the crowds tried to kill them at one point too. But they returned to Antioch where they gave a report of all the wonderful things that God had done word of this unprecedented trip spread like wildfire. Remember, no one had ever done anything like this before. No one had ever taken an idea like this and spread it abroad. Well, <laughs> there never was an idea like this to tell people. Uh, but they were literally changing the world. Everybody's talking about it. And then certain Jews from Judea came and they sang their old song. If you're a true believer, you got to get circumcised. Moses, 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 Moses. you got to obey the laws of Moses if you truly believe. Well, Paul and Barnabas argue with them to no avail. Finally, the church in Antioch sends them to Jerusalem again. This time not to give aid, but to ask for some help. There's a wonderful meeting with the church and the apostles. We'll talk about it another day. And the leaders all agree together and they support Paul and Barnabas. They even write a letter to stop this crazy Jewish idea from spreading. That didn't work either. <clears throat> More on that in a later sermon. Anyway, they give this letter to Paul and Barnabas and send them back to Antioch with the good news. And guess who they bring with them? That's right, Mark. He's ready to try again. And now comes the great twist in the story. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. 
What an amazing turn of events. Two of the greatest workers of the New Testament era, and they get into such a tiff that they go their separate ways. One of the guys writes more New Testament works than anyone else, and he can't come to terms with the kindest heart in Christendom. This is Barnabas. Anybody can get along with Barnabas. And may I just say, Paul was wrong. (laughs) The very one who preached grace and grace alone, who denied that anyone could work to a point of acceptance by God, that God grants each believer grace without anyone deserving it, this man cannot grant grace to Mark. Why? Well, we need to understand how focused Paul was to understand why he would be so stubborn and on what he focused. His all-consuming passion was to spread the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And now he thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them. What does he mean, thought best? Well, quite simply, best for the spreading of the good news. It takes significant resources to bring a person along. Let's not waste them on someone who might just bolt on us. But good old Barnabas, (laughs) the son of encouragement, he knew that Mark was ready. And he knew how to help him get his confidence back. He brought him to Cyprus. You see, Mark did great on Cyprus. (laughs) So going back there would bolster his courage. Hey, this is where a hundred people believed. This is where I made breakfast for everyone. Hey, this is where I baptized that family. And all the while, they would be helping the churches. And we need to do that for people, encourage them that way. When we try to help somebody get back on their feet spiritually, we need to choose goals for them that will help them grow in Christ. Tasks that will encourage them. Maybe things they've successfully done before. A wise woman I know, was Arlene, for those who remember her, noted that when people don't do something right, usually God simply makes do the same thing again and again until we finally get it right. Well, sometimes maybe we, we ought to rewind a little bit more and go back to where they were doing something right. That way they've got some forward motion for when they hit that tough spot again. And this time, maybe they'll get it right. But for sure, we need to have some compassion. And remember that Everyone blows it some time or another. Paul did both before he was saved and after. Peter before and after. I mean, we all do. Mark did leave them just when they really needed him. And Paul drew a hard line when he should have shown compassion. Let's try not to be too hard on people when they mess up. Think about giving them another chance. Hasn't God given you another chance? Maybe more than a few times. (laughs) And be like Barnabas and make that second chance one that will help them. Well, it helps the church. And if you are one of the ones that failed, well, first let's just say, welcome to the crowd. (laughs) We've all blown it sometime. And maybe you're thinking, yeah, but all Mark did was leave when it got tough. I really sinned when I blew it. Right? Let's ask a question. Did Jesus die for your sins? And really, I'm serious. Is the sacrifice of the Son of God enough, or isn't it? If it's enough, it's enough. Just rest in that. Years later, Paul wrote a most amazing thing in his very last letter. That letter is a very personal note to his son in the faith, Timothy. Now, Paul knows he's about to be executed, so this letter is also pretty intense. 
and he was talking about doing the work of God, he says, if we are faithless, he, Jesus, remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. Paul knew what it was to be faithless. He had, after all, approved of Stephen's execution, a true saint of God's, and he decided not to take Mark when he should have. But God works through all of that and helped Paul to become the great apostle to the Gentiles, to us. Now, we're, we're never going to be a great apostle. <laughs> we'll never write a gospel. Well, at least not one that goes in a Bible. But we do have something God wants us to do. And he will be faithful to help us through. It's not about us being faithful. It's about him. We can trust him. So, how does this story end? Paul and Barnabas split up. But, by splitting up, not only are all the churches Paul and Barnabas started on the first trip encouraged, but Paul is able to start churches in a number of new places. Silas is also brought into the mission field, and he proves to be a major contributor to the growth of the church. And Mark? Ah, Mark, he grows tremendously in the faith. Later, we find him mentioned by Peter. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greeting, and so does Mark, my son. And many feel that this is the time Mark sat with Peter and recorded the gospel from his recollections. But there's even more. Paul mentions Mark in two letters. One to a church, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And one to an individual, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. Not only had Paul accepted Mark's Christian maturity, he sent one church special instructions to listen to him, and he calls him a fellow worker. That's quite a turnaround. Remember that last letter of Paul's we read from a minute ago, the one that he wrote while he was waiting to be executed? Listen to what he said to Timothy. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Very useful for ministry. Years before, Paul didn't want to take Mark because he thought it was not best for the ministry. He would not be useful. Perhaps he would even do harm. Now, he tells Timothy, oh, he's very useful. <laughs> Paul got it. You can't keep a good man or woman down. Not when God is for them. No one can keep you down. Even if you run when the going gets tough. <laughs> even if you actually sin. Even if you're in the middle of sinning now. When God is for you, you will eventually get it right. You will stay when the going gets tough. You will know the forgiveness of Christ no matter your sin. You will escape from the self-destructive life of sin if that's where you are. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who would ever keep us down? Father, thank you for these promises. We see it in the life of Mark, but we see it in the writings too. If you are for us, no one can stand against us and have any success at all. Not people, not demons, no one. Because you are for us. And you will bring us through. And no matter the mistakes we make, 
no matter how many times we fall flat on our face, it does not matter because you are faithful. And you'll pick us back up and dust us off and help us get on the road again. Lord, sometimes, well, actually, usually, you like to use people to do your work. Maybe we get to be one of the people that helps pick somebody else back up. Probably we've been helped back up. Pretty rare that we haven't needed some help. But if we can help somebody else, that would just be a wonderful thing too. So help us up. Help us to do right. And help us to help other people. Maybe need a little hand right now. It does happen. One day, one day we'll all walk on the water with you. What an amazing thing. One day we will have that eternal life that we so long for and we don't even really know what it is. <laughs> right now we're here. Help us to live here. Help us to do the right things now. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this message, first heard at Living Hope Church of Westport. If you'd like to support us so we can do more, well, you'll have to work at it. We have no one-click button for giving on our webpage, southbeachhope.org. We are a tiny church in a small town and simply cannot afford either money or time to set up such a thing. But at least with our modern technology and with the help of Sermon.net, we can share the good news with you and anyone around the world. Hopefully... We'll someday be able to worship God together in person, if not in Westport, at least in the rapture.